This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on today's Talking Buffalo podcast, very ominous episode. I'll tell you what, if you're a Buffalo sports fan and you have a weak stomach, this may not be the best episode for you. Got my buddy, actually for the second time this week, got my buddy Joe from New York City on with me. And today we're talking about the most traumatic moments in Buffalo sports history. We're going to rehash some bad memories, open up some wounds, send you going into the weekend in a shitty mood. Of course, we're talking about Wide Right, Music City Miracle, No Goal. We talk about Ronnie Harmon's drop in 1989, Buffalo Braves leaving town. Losing to Dallas on Monday Night Football. Some of the most dramatic moments, like I said, in the history of Buffalo sports. Plus, we talk about a wrestling legend that just passed away this week. A big childhood hero of both mine and Joe's. We hit on that. Joe's got a fire take on the Bagulas. Plenty of stuff coming up with him. And I'm going to have that for you in just a minute. Before that, I want to let you know that today's show is being supported by Audimute. For nearly two decades, Audimute has set the standard for providing cutting-edge acoustic treatments for recording and sound environments. From your home studio to commercial settings, such as the office, restaurants, gyms, and auditoriums, Audimute is the best sound treatment company out there. That's because they refuse to compromise on the quality of their products and service ever. Easy, green, affordable. My home studio has Audimute acoustic panels, and the difference is literally been remarkable night and day look don't just throw up foam on your walls decide it looks pretty and call it a day it might look the part but it's not going to improve your sound visit automute.com for info and deals including a free room analysis form and the ability to speak with an acoustic specialist do your sound do the people who hear it a very big service go visit automute.com and on that note let's do it All right, everyone, how you doing? What's going on? Episode 212, Talking Buffalo Podcast. Thank you to everyone out there for continuing to listen. Download the podcast. It means a lot to me. Before I get going, I want to quickly acknowledge uh, something real quick. Buddy of mine, friend of this podcast, regular segment guest, Jeff Boyd. Many of you might recognize that name. He's on the podcast with me quite often, part of the 716 Sports Podcast. Anyway, Jeff, long story short here, announced on Twitter that his father had tested positive for the coronavirus. And I spoke with Jeff today. We're taping this on a Thursday. And his dad's doing okay. He's doing better. Not out of the woods yet. But 
he is improving. So anyway, just wanted to send out our well wishes to him and to his family and hopefully everything works out okay with that. Also, rest in peace. I'm sure my buddy Joe, I'm going to bring out in a second, might have something to say about this, but the Fink, Howard Finkel, a very big part of our youth, WWF, WWE, passed away on Thursday at the age of 69. He's been sick for a while. One of the greatest announcers, ring announcers, not just of wrestling, but of all time, he passed away, and I'm pretty sad about that. You know? What's yeah. up, Joe, by the way? Yeah, I was just about to bring you in, man. What's going on? Two times in one week. I know you're a WWE guy. It's one of the things I like about you, fake dying. That, that sucks, man. Yeah, that definitely does. I mean, you knew it was a big match when the Fink was doing the announcing. And I guess his health has, over the last few years has been really bad. Uh, there are some photos I saw of him on wrestling Twitter where he was like in a wheelchair. And I pretty sure I heard it on a podcast a few different times over the years where his name got it brought up and people were like, yeah, his health isn't, isn't doing well right now. But yeah, he had a great delivery. And, you know, you always just kind of remember when he would emphasize and new, yeah. but the new thing was the big thing, you know, when he would say a new champion and he had a great voice and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it sucks that he, you know, he, he passed away and it's, it's, it's sad. Cause I don't even remember like the last time we saw him, you know, he hasn't really, they, they, the WWE didn't really bring him out all that much. And I think cause a lot of it had to do with his health. So, you know, it, 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 it it's kind of sad. Like we don't really have that sort of moment of like, Oh yeah. I remember the last time he was out was this, or, you know, maybe, obviously, right. and, you know, it's, it's kind of a little bit sad. And in that regards, we couldn't have that like goodbye moment or, Oh, this was the last time we saw him, you know, kind of thing. If that makes sense. He had the ability to make every single match sound like it was the main event. He definitely had a good voice, man. He, his voice is much better than ours. I can say that. <laughs> it's definitely yeah. much better than ours. Nobody yeah. is going to argue that for sure. Anyway, for everyone <laughs> out there listening, before we get into our thing today, want to let you know next week, guys, uh, Joe Marino is going to be on the podcast Tuesday from the Draft Network and to talk Bills, draft. Probably have my one and only mock draft during that episode. Generally, I hate mock drafts. So if you couldn't tell already, but... uh. I do don't like. You ask me, don't you want to ask me what I think about the Bills in the Absolutely, draft? I do not. But I do want to ask about <laughs> Joe's insight into the draft, NFL, more specifically the Bills. And then on Friday's show, I'm going to have Greg Thompson from Cover One on. We're going to recap the NFL draft's first night. As of right now, the Bills aren't scheduled to make a selection on night one, but you never know. And then we'll get you all set up for what's likely to be in a, an eventful day two of the draft for the Bills. Again, that's next Friday. But that's next week. Again, today I got my buddy Joe on. And hey, hey, I'm giving you a draft take right now. I don't care. You can take this out. The Bills are going to draft a cornerback in the second round. I, I, right I buy that. I buy I'm that. Calling that. I'm calling that right now. I think they're going to, I think with, uh, you know, with Levi Wallace, I think has what, like one more year left on his contract. And I think, you know, uh, who's the Carolina guy that they got? They got? His name is like Greg Norman. The, Greg the, Norman. Yeah, yeah. Oh, not Greg Norman. Know. Josh Norman. I'm thinking of the Josh golfer Norman. Greg Norman. Yeah, Josh Norman. <laughs> yeah, Josh Norman. We don't know if he's going to be any good or not. I feel like they're going to want to have a backup plan in case he's bad and then insurance for, for Wallace if he walks. I just feel like that's where they're going to go. It's going to be that or maybe even a linebacker because I, I feel like they might be worried that Matt Milano might leave next year. That's, that's no, possible. Hey, you don't sleep on anything in the second round. I feel like it's going to be a true best player available. But yeah, man, I really, I totally buy the corner. In fact, if it was up to me, and again, you want to stick to your board to some extent, but if the, if it's close, I would take a corner. I know running back is the 
the the the clicky pick right now. A lot of people are saying running back, but no, I agree with you. I'm not sold on Levi Wallace as a starter. Never have been, although he was good as a rookie. He kind of took a step back last year. Trey White is Trey White, one of the best in the NFL. He's going to get paid like that sooner or later. But yeah, man, after that, Josh Norman, hey, I know he's in a bad system. That's what everybody says, but he's 32 years old, and I don't trust him. And EJ Gaines, and they also signed EJ Gaines, but you know what? I don't trust him either. He can't stay healthy. Yeah. And you don't know, even if, if even if he does well, Norman, like he's got, it's a one-year deal. So if he does well, he'll probably outprice himself and go somewhere else possibly. So sure. I think that's why I think we have to look at it, Like, don't think about instant impact this year. Think about it as a who, replacing someone for next year. Like, it's like, hey, we're going to pencil this guy in next year. You know, maybe a perfect hybrid, like a cornerback who can kind of double up as a safety. Because again, like, I know they extended uh, Poyer, but Mika Hyde has, what, one more year on his contract as well. So, you know, you never know. I think you have to kind of look at it that way, like getting someone in there to kind of replace someone next year. So I, I agree with you, man. I'm with you on that for sure. I definitely could see corner. In fact, I also personally would prefer corner. But anyway, that's next week. That's the Bills draft. That's the fun part, folks. That's the fun part of this episode because it's about to take a downward turn if you're a Buffalo sports fan, you got a weak stomach, you don't like to uh, relive bad memories, this uh, might be the time where you turn it off because that's where we're headed right now. This is this episode's all about most traumatic sports moments in Buffalo history. And now, so we're clear, I'm not ranking these from 1 to 10. I just got a bunch of notes, and I'll go through some of these. I'll get your take, your insight on some of these, and then maybe I have a few that aren't on the list. And I'll ask you, I'm sure you have a couple as well. I got one or two non-Buffalo things. But anyway, let's start. And again, I'm not necessarily power ranking these, but the most obvious, if you're a Buffalo sports fan, or even if you're not, you already know about this one, of course, wide right. Scott Norwood misses a 47-yard field goal, and the Bills lose Super Bowl. 25 to the New York Giants, 20-19. Now, one of the reasons why I wanted you for this segment, I had you on the show Tuesday, and I wanted to bring you back, is because you aren't just a fan of one team. Like you follow both teams, the Bills and Sabres. You're follow general, generally speaking, Buffalo sports. And also I think age matters. There's lots of good voices out there that I could talk to about certain things, but I feel like you have to be old enough to have lived through these things. You know what I'm saying? To be able to have any kind of opinion on them, like you so experienced this, you lived through this. So basically you have me on because I'm old. Well, I'm, I'm older than you. So Yeah. That is, yeah. that's one, it's definitely one of the reasons sure. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not, I, I, I can't have a, a freaking 25 year old on to talk about a Super Bowl That was what? 20 something years ago, 30 years or whatever the hell it is at this point. No, I yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad to be your, your oldest, uh, pundit that you have on this, on this podcast as a reoccurring guest. Well, so. let's talk about that. I mean, the moment itself goes without saying a 47 yard field goal to win the Super Bowl, not a gimme by any means, but very makeable. Lots of things could have happened. Now we could have a, a complete discussion on why it shouldn't have came down to that kick, but that's kind of getting away from, you know, the spirit of this episode. But what are your memories of that kick itself and just that moment where, like, obviously you felt like you got punched in the face? I have one too, but I want to hear yours first. Um, I was 11 years old. I had just turned 11. So it was probably like a week later. My birthday's January 17th. I was at my uncle's house, my uncle, Tom, who it's, my dad has like nine brothers. <laughs> he has a lot. And my uncle Tom was a guy who I honestly probably saw maybe like five times 
while living in Buffalo for the first like 22 years of my life. And so for, for some random reason, I was at his house. I, I don't know how I got there or why my parents threw me there. I think because my parents had a pizzeria, so they were working. So they were probably like, hey, we're not going to leave Joe at home alone to watch the game. We're going to give him to my brother, like maybe my dad thinking that. Who the hell knows? But uh, I was watching it with my aunt, who was actually in the military at the time, and she was on leave, so she was there as well. And I just remember when the kick, when they were going down the field to, to, to kick the field goal, I got up, I ran into another room, I had the lights off, I started praying, and I'm not very religious if you guys follow me enough on Twitter. Uh, I started praying and I came back out and I saw the kick go wide, right? Like the snap was, I just saw the kick go wide, right? That was it. And I started bawling my eyes out and started crying. And yeah, it it was horrible. Like you, anytime you see that replay and you know, on any highlights, NFL films, it, it, it just like a part of you like dies again. Like, it's just like, really dude. I'll tell you what, man, it was terrible. It it was. And for me personally, it was, Probably the culmination of the worst period of my entire life, just not sports-wise, but personal. Quick story, and I don't want to get all sentimental here, but my father, I was 19 years old when the Super Bowl happened, and my father had passed away just a handful of days, well, a couple weeks actually, before the Bills-Raiders championship game. Basically, my dad died right before the end of the regular season. Bills went on that run. The Raiders game, I had a ticket to, and I'll never forget this, man. Uh, Gave up my ticket. I just didn't want to be around people, obviously, Mm. understandably. So I didn't get to see the 51. I did see it on TV, of course, but could have been at the stadium for that 51-3 game. Didn't go. Get to the Super Bowl. Now, my father's a New Yorker. Spent a lot of his life in New Jersey. His family is entirely consistent of New York City and upper New Jersey. Big Giants fans. My dad, obviously, a Bills fan. Born and raised in Buffalo. I'm talking about me, not him. Uh, Anyway. Their family, his family, I should say my family, all rooted for the Bills, even though they're all huge Giants fans that game. And it just felt like, you know, if life wasn't hard enough for me at that time, I was like, all right, well, they're going to beat my dad and his family's favorite team, the Giants, to win the Super Bowl. That's kind of, that's cool. Well, it didn't work out that way, and it just made shit a lot worse for me. That was really was the culmination. Is like, how much worse can life get? Your father dies, and then... They lose to your dad's team in the Super Bowl where they just should have won by one point on a missed field goal. The Bills' first Super Bowl ever. So, yeah, that was just the ultimate uh, punch in the fucking gut, to be honest yeah. with you, man. It, it, it sucked. I mean, and, and you know, we, you know, I don't even blame Norwood that much for that kick. There were so many things right. that happened in that game that were just ludicrous. And, and I think there were things that going into the game that set them up for failure. I think that was a very overconfident football team. I think some of the guys later on, like Daryl Talley, I know was one of them who said as much. They were 13 and three. They absolutely rolled in the playoffs. I talked about it just a few minutes ago. I mean, they destroyed the Raiders 51 to three. They were down in Tampa. They were partying. And they're playing, sorry to interrupt. And they're playing, people forget this. They're playing the backup quarterback for the Giants, a guy who I think at that point, Jeff Hostetler probably had like three career starts Right at that point. I remember as a kid being super freaking confident going into this game because I thought they beat the Giants at the end of December. And, and it was a great, it was an awesome football game where both Kelly and Phil Sims went down in that game. And, you know, Frank Reich 
got them a field goal, I remember, and, and Hosteller didn't do much of anything. And they won by, like, four points or something like that. I kept thinking, shit, like, if they could beat the Giants with with their backup quarterback and they're facing their backup quarterback again, and we have Kelly playing now instead of Reich, you know, who just got thrown into the game in, in December, we should we should pulverize them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the Bills were the hot, you know, trendy thing. I mean, that offense was unstoppable. It was that first year, really, of uh, the no huddle that just absolutely completely dominated everybody. But in hindsight, dude, maybe, I mean, it's easy to say it in hindsight now to be a, a Monday morning quarterback, but they shouldn't have been that overconfident. We're like the Giants were pushovers. You talked about it. They won earlier by four points. The Giants were 13 and three. Now they got to the Super Bowl in the last second against Frisco. Everyone thought Frisco because they were 14 and two Frisco that yeah. year that they would beat the Giants. But it wasn't like the Giants were some nine and seven wildcard team on a miracle run, man. That was a 13 and three squad. That was a good football team. With a with the coach who had won the Super Bowl before, so in hindsight, being overconfident was a bad thing. And I'll tell you what, one other thing too about this game: if you are, and I know this is going to be a very unpopular opinion among Buffalo sports fans, but if you had an issue with Marv Levy, and I don't think anyone could deny the fact that he was very good at chemistry, very good at keeping this team resilient, hungry, and together. But if you if your take is he wasn't the greatest coach then this game was your ammunition because, and again, I think some of the guys would admit this. They weren't ready to play that game, at least early on. You know what I mean? They well, should have ran the Giants off the field in the first half. They nearly did, but they didn't. The defense sloppy, a lot of missed tackles. It just didn't seem like a team that was 100% locked in and focused to me, looking back even all these years later. I blame, yes, Marv definitely deserves like blame for that, but I don't even think it's about getting his guys ready or overconfident. Like He can't. You know, yes, like he, he could have done a better job. But if my issue has always been the offense in that game because the Giants, if you watch that game, and they talked about this on, on you know, four falls of Buffalo, the Giants played with two defensive linemen and had like nine defensive backs right. on the field. They should have ran the ball every freaking down the Bills because they would have gotten at least eight yards every time because it's five offensive linemen against two defensive linemen. Like the when they handed the ball off to Thurman, Thurman would get like seven, eight yards. Thurman had 135 yards rushing on like 15 carries. Yeah. Okay. He's at, he's, and that's where I blame Marv because Marv needs to yell at Jim Kelly because Jim Kelly's calling all the plays and Jim Kelly, you know, I blame him a lot for that loss because he needed to know that this was happening. Like, holy crap, they're playing, they're playing two defensive linemen against us and they got nine defensive backs. Let's hand the ball off every play. And I feel like he kind of figured that out on the final drive. Because I think I remember this because like Thurman had like three carries on that final drive for like 40 yards because he finally figured it out. Like, give Thurman the ball, you idiot. And that's where I think they lost a lot. And I get I get really pissed off sometimes because I'll see when Kelly does his interviews like and he, he mentioned this a lot on the 30 for 30 and a few other players did as well. That, well, hey, we just couldn't get the Giants off the field. That's why we lost. No, no, no. You lost because your offense couldn't stay on the field. You lost because you were one for nine and and first down on third down. You lost because you didn't hand the ball off enough. You also lost because your offense was geared to not have the ball that much because you ran the no huddle offense. That's why the Giants were on the field for a lot because like you kept doing the no huddle and the Giants ran the ball every every play. You know that's why they they lost. I put that more on the offense for not executing, for not realizing that hey the Giants have two guys rushing the football. Uh, two defensive linemen on the field 
and we're not we're not and we're uh, passing the ball or trying to pass the ball. Yeah, look at the very box fair. Score, look at the box score for that game, and you will see that that the Bills had, had way more pass attempts than rushing attempts, and that's where they failed. And that to your to what your point, that's where you put it on Marv because Marv needed to tell Jim Kelly you need to stop you need to start handing the ball off since you're calling the plays or Kelly needed to figure that out. That's why I put the blame on them for that. Yes, the defense, there were some missed tackles. You know, the Mark Ingram 13 play, that that took like 10 years off my life, I'm pretty sure. Like, it was horrible. Like, the tackling was pathetic in that game. But for the most part, they lost that game because they kept trying to pass their way to victory instead of handing the ball off more to Thurman. Yeah, Thurman had 15 carries for 135 and a touchdown. Five catches for 55 yards. And yeah, Jim Kelly threw the ball 30 times that game for... 212 yards, but anyway, and, look at how many times, and he ran the ball a bunch too, because there would be plays. I, tell me how many carries Kelly had. I don't have game. it open. I don't know. Okay. Well, well, he ran the ball. At least I can remember him running on scrambles at least five or, you know, four or five times. So that's really like 35 attempts they had in that game. So it was just, it was just a bad, they just completely got out coached in that game. Completely. We can talk about the confident thing. Like, yeah, I think it's a little bit of a factor, but I think it was X's and O's. They just got their asses handed to them in that game. That's fair. Uh, the other big one with the Bills, if there's that's 1A, then 1B would definitely be Music City Miracle, the Bills losing the playoffs. That was a decade later to Tennessee, 22-16 on the last minute. Lateral, four lateral, whatever you want to call it. Frank Wycheck to Kevin Dyson, went 75 yards down the sideline for the winning touchdown. Now, again, my personal memory to this game, traumatic moment. This was the first, I'm still with the woman that I was at that time dating 20-some years later. I, I know, God bless her, is right. But uh, that was our first playoff game that we ever watched with the Bills. And at the time, I didn't think it was that big of a deal. You know, the Bills were always in the playoffs. So it's like, all right, well, this sucks to lose. Come back next year. Well, 17 years later, we were still waiting for another playoff game together as husband and wife, whatever have you. I know that sounds corny, but that's the way it is. But anyway, that game to me in some ways was even more annoying than the Scott Nora because even as Scott Nora was missing that kick, I never thought it was a gimme. When the Bills mm-hmm. took that lead with 16 freaking seconds left, I'm like, they can't blow this game. And if they're ever going to blow it, certainly not in that way. I was worried about uh, Tennessee getting the ball and completing some kind of Hail Mary or getting a pass interference call, something like that down the field. I never in a million years saw that coming. So that was traumatic and that just crushed me. Yeah, that was pretty bad. I was working at my parents' pizzeria at the time, and I remember it was me and the delivery guy and my friend who used to work at the pizzeria. We called him Face because he had a really ugly face. And, uh, nice nickname. Yeah, yeah, I don't talk to him anymore, so he's kind of a <laughs> douche. But anyways, uh, I remember kind of watching the first half because you're busy, and the way it, work, it works when you work at a pizzeria is people always order food in the first half, halftime. That's what they always do. You know, you don't get, you, you don't order food at the start of the fourth quarter if you're getting it delivered or pick up. So it was very busy in the first half. I was watching it like in the corner of my eye. I remember like the Bills had like a really, a really bad start to that game. Like they, the offense looked really shitty and, you know, Tennessee was kind of running the football down the, down their throat. And then by the third quarter, the pizzeria got kind of dead. So I was able to watch it more. And then like, you know, there was a couple of plays, the bill, we, we, you know, they got the offense got moving they kicked the, the we thought was the game winning field goal, and then I just remember like the kickoff happens, and Dyson returns for a touchdown. And I just remember like, okay, that's a forward lateral. You just yell like that's a forward lateral, 
I remember seeing the the TV screen like there's Wade Phillips like basically like oh yeah that's forward you could see him kind of going forward lateral forward lateral like he's and then like you see the replays of that and like I just remember like the first couple of replays are like oh yeah it looks forward and then they showed another replay and it's like ooh that doesn't really look forward right there and then they show another one it's like uh like you go from like oh that's a forward lateral to holy shit they don't have I don't think they have enough to overturn that. And then, boom, the, the call in the field stands. I remember I turned around and like, I like punched the alarm. Like we had an alarm on the on the pizza on the on the for the pizzeria. Like it wasn't like a a, a George Foreman punch. It was kind of like a slap. Like you bastards. And and like I slapped it, and like the alarm kind of I didn't, it didn't go off, but it just started beeping a little bit. Like you know, like if you were punching the code in. And yeah, that was like the my memory. And then it was like this sucks and. And that was it. That was kind of like the end of an era for like the nineties bills, you know, in essence, I guess it was. And a couple of quick things about that. Yeah. You said it earlier. Tennessee was leading at halftime 12, nothing. And the bills dominated the second half went up 16 to three before that play. And I don't want to go through all these and assign blame and say what could have, should have been with this, but I do have to say this much. We spent a lot of time recently, especially talking about our disdain or growing disdain. I should say for some of the things that Terry Bagula is doing. And you're going to talk about that a little bit later in his podcast. But my biggest takeaway from this, even years later, and also at the time was Ralph Wilson. Ralph Wilson to me is the reason why the bills lost this game because Ralph Wilson essentially made Wade Phillips start Rob Johnson over Doug Flutie. Now for people out there who might not remember so much, Doug Flutie had started the first 15 games. Bills won 10 of them. And then in the last game of the season, which was a regular season finale, a meaningless game, Rob Johnson played against Indianapolis and played very well. Now, of course, Doug John or Doug Flutie at that time anyway didn't have a big contract where the Bills traded a first round pick and gave Rob Johnson a big fat contract. So Ralph Wilson wanted this guy to be the guy for them. So he plays good in a regular season finale that didn't mean shit. And essentially Ralph Wilson, and I know this because I remember when I had my blog, probably the, my favorite interview that I ever did was with Eric Mould. And this was in, God, I don't remember, like 2009, 2010, something like that. I interviewed Eric. So we're talking 20 years after this game was over. And he still, with respect to Ralph Wilson, was really pissed off about that, that Doug Flutie did not start that game. Now, Rob Johnson, you look at the stats. He was 10 of 22 for 131 yards, sacked six times, fumbled twice, lost one. I feel like, and I'm sure most Bills fans do, if Doug Flutie plays that game, I don't think the Bills are in a position where they have to worry about only being up one point with 16 seconds left. You know what I'm saying? That was the owner coming down, a meddling owner. And again, with respect to Ralph Wilson, he did everything he could to keep the Bills in Buffalo. So I'm not going to bash him, but let's not forget when he was alive. He was known as a meddling owner who did shit like this. And this cost the Bills, in my opinion, anyway, this football game. Yeah, a few things. I, I always loved the after party with with Rob Johnson's like fans. They they would always say, "Well, he he, he when he left the field, they were winning. Like he like he did he a lot. Sucked. Like right. he didn't really do much of anything." And I'll, look, I'll I'll admit, like Flutie that year wasn't very good. Like his numbers weren't good, and the offense kind of sputtered a bit. And you know, if you're gonna make that that call to like bench the quarterback, like you should have just waited to the next year. And like had them duke it out in competition or something like that. The funny thing about the Ralph thing was like no one knew Ralph pulled him until way down the line, like years and years later. Like 
it was a theory, and I think it kind of came out more recently. Like I remember watching like the NFL NFL Network does that uh, football life. And they had Doug Flutie on, and that's when like Wade Phillips kind of alluded to like, yeah, you know, he kind of alluded to that happening where like Ralph wanted him to play him. Yep. And I think AJ Smith mentioned it too. And that this was like four or five years ago, but there was there was never that sort of there was never a story for years until I think till Ralph died or at least. You know, was probably on his way out. Who knows? But like, I don't. It, it was never. We didn't know about that until years later. Basically, that Ralph forced his hand. You know that they, that he told him, "You're playing him for this game." Right. You know, it never it never came about that way. So it's kind of like a weird sense of that that it happened. But yes, Ralph was allegedly Ralph wanted they he wanted Johnson because they were paying him all that money, and it was just a stupid, weird deal. Like I don't know. It just it didn't make sense for them to do it. At that point, and I and I, it's funny because like I was a little bit of a Rob Johnson guy because I kind of felt like Flutie had his ceiling and and that was it. Yeah, like, it was me too. A, I, I wanted it, Rob Johnson to be good, but he wasn't. Yeah, but it was like at that time you should have just waited, like because I felt again I felt Flutie hit his ceiling, whereas Rob Johnson we didn't know what we had and like you fell in love with the arm and like the size and things along those lines, and well, and then he just. He, you know, he, he, he had his moments here and there, Rob Johnson, like he had some good games, but the bottom line was he took too many sacks. He got hurt too many times. And when the team started deteriorating around him, like by 2001, that three and 13 year, when they had Johnson start, Johnson was dead. Like he was horse in the headlights, you know, not a horse in the headlights, deer in the headlights, excuse me, you know, for that team. He well, let me, good moments, let me say this though. So, yeah. Let me say this, man. When they did bring him in the year before that, because again, the Bills went 17 years after this game we're talking about now making the playoffs. They were good before that. Rob Johnson was a starter, wasn't good. Flutie came in, proved his worth. And again, even this year, this year that we're speaking of, he went 10 and five as a starter. Rob Johnson won a meaningless game at the end of the year that meant nothing. And Ralph Wilson decided, again, to basically force his hand to start him. I think you're gaslighting this a little bit. I don't. Rob Johnson, look, the first three games, go look at his numbers for that '98 season. His first two games, his first the first two games, he kept, he went against the Chargers and Dolphins. He was bad in it. He did really good in the Rams game, and then if you remember the fourth game, the Bills beat the 49ers, who were three and zero at that time, and the Bills were zero and three. And Johnson was really good in that game. He lost his job because he got injured. And he was out for four weeks. And then when Flutie came in, Flutie was much, much, much better. So you think and he should have got his job back in the playoffs? No, no. You're, but you're, 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 you're telling me that Rob Johnson, the reason why Rob Johnson got benched in 98 was because he was bad. I didn't that's say that's why happened. he got benched. I said overall he was bad. Well, he wasn't bad. Go, you can go look at the numbers from that start '98. Like he was, he was, he was one in three. They they played really well against the Rams. They scored a, a billion points, but the defense was terrible against them. And then they beat the 49ers when they were the 49ers were three and zero, and the Bills were zero and three. That was when Thurman like guaranteed victory, and he's like, "We're going to beat them." And everyone's like, "What are you talking about? We're we're terrible." And the Bills played really well against the 49ers. Johnson was really good in that game, and then he got hurt. And then Flutie came in, and Flutie was bat- was lights out. He was awesome. That's why he kept his job. And he should have. He should have. But I I don't think you, you saying oh he was terrible. That's why he lost his job. He wasn't. He was. He had his. He he had his moments. He really did. But in, at the end, he just it just never worked because he always got hurt and because Flutie he held the ball and, forever. 
Yes, he did. Look, I'm look. I'm not saying he was. You're saying he was terrible. I don't yeah, think he I'm was saying terrible. he was terrible. I'm saying the Bills gave up a first round draft pick and gave this guy 25 million bucks, man. Yeah. No. Hey, it wasn't a good trade. I'm not here to say it, but there were moments he played well. Like there were. There. You can go look at his box score. He. They had. He had moments. And again, they. They did it, but they benched him, quote, because Flutie was better at that point. But they, that was why. So, hey, I'm, right, well, regardless. I'm you know, but if you want to say, <laughs> I'm, I'm a fat, you wanted me on here to, because I'm, I'm Mr. I remember when guy. I'm going to tell you when I think you're bullshitting, Pat. Come on. All right, we'll mark that up in our running tally of <laughs> shit that me and you don't agree on. I think you're being a stat nerd right now with Rob Johnson. And that oh, was fucking terrible. I, no, I, look, he wasn't terrible, terrible. I'm just saying he had some good games. That's all. <laughs> That's all. I'm not, look, he wasn't like J.P. Lossman terrible or Trent Edwards terrible when it was all all said and done. He had some good games, but then at the end, yeah, he, he, st- he stunk in 2001. There's no denying that. But he had some good games that you saw, like some good there, but he just he couldn't put it together and he held the ball too long and he got hurt. All and, right, you know, let's move on good. to the, the French connection here. I think there's a French connection, a, a big three of, uh, of traumatic moments. And the other one uh, is obviously no goal. 1999 Stanley Cup finals. Brett Hall scores in the third overtime. Clearly his skate is in the crease. The Sabres lose two to one. Game six on their home ice in Dallas wins their first and only. Stanley Cup. What do you remember about that? Obviously being a traumatic moment. I was living in my parents' basement. You know, because, you know, I'm, I'm a blogger and you're supposed to be living in your parents' basement. Or I was. Right, of course. Yeah. So uh, it was me and my two friends were living, we're watching TV, we're watching the game. It goes to like 5 million overtimes. And we're sitting there like, when is this going to end? What's happening? And boom, Dallas scores. We're disgusted like crap. That sucks. And we turn off the TV and we're like, all right, we got to go out and get drunk. So we drive down to Hurdle Avenue and I forgot what bar we went to. It was some, well, I don't even know, whatever. It doesn't matter. We get there and then we walk inside. It's pretty packed. And I remember like looking on the TVs and ESPN said like on the, on the crawl, like controversial goal, like foot in the crease, basically. And I remember I just went to my friend and go, look at this shit. And then we saw it and we saw like his foot was in the crease and we're like, okay, well this sucks. I mean, it's a tainted goal. Like we didn't even realize that until a couple hours later when we got down to the bar, because again, we just turned the game off. Like we weren't sitting there. I was in no mood to see Dallas, like, you know, skate the cup around the ice and on TV. I wanted to go home. You know, I want to go out and get drunk. So that's my memory of it. Um, it sucks obviously. Cause it was kind of a, a crappy way for it to end. It doesn't really stick in my trough too much in comparison to other Sabres like moments, which we'll get to, because I'll be honest with you, Dallas was Dallas was a much better team than the Sabres. Like the Sabres overachieved that season. They were a seventh seed. It was a Hashik team. It was like they could hit. They had a little bit of scoring, but that Dallas team had like Belfort, Brett Hall, Mike Madano, Joe Nunez. They had like Hall of Fame caliber stars there. And so I kind of felt like at that point, like, yeah, this sucks, but we probably were going to lose game seven anyway, because Dallas just had way more talent than we did. So it doesn't, it sucks, but it doesn't like, it doesn't burn my ass as much as it, it's, it sucks because of how it ended like controversial. Cause obviously look, if it ended in overtime without the foot in the crease, like let's just say his foot wasn't in the crease, then Hey, that's, it's just a heartbreaking moment. Oh, that sucks. You know, right. but the controversy to me, is what makes it very, you know, traumatic, upsetting. Yes, 
yeah. you know, to me. I agree. The only thing I can remember about the game specifically is I watched it with a Dallas fan. So who was obviously happy. And in fairness to him, he was a Dallas fan. He wasn't just a Dallas fan because he hated the Sabres. He was a legitimate Dallas fan. By the way, no goal in Music City Miracle. I want to talk about some gut punches. Those both happened in a matter of what? About six to seven months. But anyway, yeah. about that team, and you said it, and I completely agree with you. If you were going to sell me, and you wouldn't have to try too hard to sell me on this. If you're going to sell me on Dominic Hasek being the best athlete in Buffalo sports history, not just hockey, just period, Buffalo sports, this would be the season that you'd be able to sell it to me on because he literally carried that team to the Stanley Cup. He was the best player in the NHL that year. Not a very talented team. They had Shatan, they had Pekka, and after that, their top boards are like Michael Grosick and Dixon Ward and Brian Holzinger. Not a very good team, yet they're in game six of the Stanley Cup. That was pretty much all freaking Dominic Hasek there, man. Yeah, that, that was also an ugly series. And like, I think the Sabres, the Sabres scored, it was like, they saved, the Sabres, I think, like, scored like eight goals in like six games. It was an ugly, like a very boring series for the most part. But they, yes, it was mostly, it was mostly Hasek and they played pretty good defense. But, but the offense, yeah, Sucked. the guys you just <laughs> mentioned, it wasn't very good. They had Stu Barnes, who they just got, and Stu was pretty good. But yeah, it was, it was not very good. So. All right, let's move on to a couple other here, and uh, we'll get the, through these a little quicker. Because, again, those were the big three. Another big one, and we're going back to football here, the Buffalo Bills on Monday Night Football when they lost to Dallas 25-24. That was in 2007. That was the Bills' first home Monday Night Football game in 13 years. Of course, that was a game where Tony Romo threw five interceptions. I think he threw two pick sixes that game. I know he also lost a fumble. So Tony Romo, personally responsible for six turnovers, and somehow, some way, the Bills end up still finding a way to lose in the final seconds, literally final seconds of that game. Yeah, that game sucked. I was at, I was, I was actually working or kind of working that night. I was working on a, I was working for a TV show at the time. It was a court show. It was, I think, Judge Hatchet because I worked on a bunch of different court shows, and it was me and a person I was working with. We were watching the game. And I always remember, I was like, it was shocking because the Bills were in the lead in that game. Because if you remember going into that game, Dallas was 4-0. and The Bills were like 1-3, I think, at that point or something like that. I don't know. But, like, everyone was talking about Dallas because Dallas was hot. It was Romo. It was T.O. And no one gave a shit about the Bills. Like, they were definitely there just to be, like, the sacrificial lamb for the Cowboys. And, like, they, they played. I didn't want to say they played well, but they just got a bunch of turnovers. Dallas was terrible. And I just remember the ending of the game because something had happened while I was working where we had like an emergency where one of my guests that I booked wasn't getting on the plane to come to New York for their tapings. And at this point in TV land, like if you, if you're not booked and your person is like dropping out, like the earth stops and you need to do something about it. So I'm like calling this person, begging her to get on the plane. Like you need to come to New York. You need to hear your case. Like just giving her the salesmanship and, and all that sort of stuff. And while doing this, begging her to, to, to do this, I'm looking in the, in the corner of my eye and I see the end of the game where basically the Bills, the, the Bills stop them on the two-point conversion and they're up by two and then Dallas does the onside kick. They get it. And yep. then they, they get it. Then, they, then the, the one play that happened after the onside kick was they, we thought it was a completion of T.O. and then the clock ran out, but, be, but because they reviewed it, it was an incomplete pass. So then they did some sort of five-yard slant and then I'm watching it while yelling at this woman to get on the plane. Like, you got to get on the plane. And then all of a sudden, like, 
the the the, the field goal kicker Nick Folk kicked Nick like Folk. a fifty three yard kicker fifty three yarder. They win, and I'm just like so pissed off. I'm like, this sucks. I'm on the phone with this guest who doesn't want to get on the freaking plane for whatever reason. I don't remember begging her to get on the plane because we got to do a taping with her tomorrow. And like, this it was just I was stabbed in the heart twice by the stupid guest <laughs> that didn't want to get on the plane and the stupid Bills in that game. But yeah, that game sucked. Dallas uh, were down, yeah. They scored a touchdown with 20 seconds left and failed on the two-point conversion. Jabari Greer made a really good stop on Teal before the goal line. But yeah, you said it. Dallas got the outside kick, two completions, and then Nick Folk nails 53-yarder, and they lose. Now let's go backwards for the next one. And by the way, like I said, these aren't really ranked in any specific order. Kind of picking them randomly here. The Ronnie Harmon drop in 1989. Bills lose uh, Cleveland in the playoffs. In the divisional round, very next play, of course, as we all know, Ronnie Harmon drops the ball. Next play, Jim Kelly gets picked off in the end zone by Clay Matthews. Do you, uh, do you what, yeah. what are your, obviously, I don't want to ask you what your memories are of that game, because of course they're fucking terrible, but do you remember that game specifically? Oh, yeah. I watched it in my, uh, the basement that I was living in at that time was actually in 89, my sister's basement, because she's older. So, like, she was 10 years older than me. So, she lived in the basement, and we watched it together downstairs. And, yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. Harmon dropped the ball. I was like, are you effing kidding me? And then Kelly threw a pick six, or not pick six, but he threw an interception to Clay Matthews, like you said. And I started crying. You know, I was very emotional when the Bills lost these playoff games. All right, 1980, I was going to laugh at you, but 1989, crying's acceptable for you at that age. Yeah, I'm nine years old. I I can't even remember (laughs) the last time I cried for a Bills game. I was... I think the last time I cried for a Bills game, I was like 12 maybe or something like that. Like maybe <laughs> maybe Super, Super Bowl 26. I don't remember. But yes, I was I was very upset. It was such a it was it was such a tough game. I remember I hated Cleveland, like the Browns afterwards. Like, uh, like that that game sucked. But like, yeah, Ronnie Harmon dropped it. It was I will say this, like, uh, no effort. I'm not gonna say that. It was a drop. Like it Kelly could have let him a little bit better, but like it was a drop. I think after the game. Like Harmon tried saying it was like, oh, it wasn't really my fault. Like he didn't, he didn't lead me enough in the past or something like that. I don't know, but yeah, it was a, it was a horrible game. Like it was, it was the first heartbreaking game for me as a Bills fan that I can remember. It wasn't Norwood; it was that game because I was just that was the first season I started watching the Bills was during the bickering Bills '89 season, and how it ended was it was uh yeah it was tearful. <laughs> I'll tell you what, man. A few things here. I um. First of all, it was a very exciting game. Secondly, I was a big Ronnie Harmon fan. I loved when the Bills drafted. He was a first-round pick in 86. I mean, he was supposed to be a superstar. Obviously, that never quite worked out. He was a decent player. But yeah, and it could have been a better pass. But look, you got to catch it. I guess the question is, if he does catch it, what happens? Now, the Browns went on that year to make it to the AFC Championship, and then they lost to Cleveland by like 16. And of course... I mean, yeah, Denver won the AFC Championship. They beat Cleveland, but then Denver got murdered in the Super Bowl 55-10 to 10 against Frisco that year. You always have to wonder if the Bills had won that game, did they beat Denver and did they go to Super Bowl? Now, the Bills are 12-4 and four the year before that and lost an AFC Championship game to Cincy. If they win this, I mean, they went on after this for four straight Super Bowls. have to wonder if Ronnie Harmon catches his ball. Is it five? And if he does and he catches the ball and it's five, they're playing Frisco. I mean, that was kind of the Super Bowl the juicy matchup that I think all football fans wanted and never got to see Buffalo against Frisco during those days. Yeah. So I can tell you about that season. It would have been crazy if they, they made the, just the title game. Cause that would have been six straight AFC championship games for yep. them from 
88 to 94, 93. Do you think that helped them though? All right. So let me ask you this before you, before you say what you're going to say, if, if they do get to the championship game, do you, do you think that drop in that loss might've fueled them where maybe they don't get to four straight Super Bowls if he drops it or, or you, the mindset that fuck that, if he catches it, they probably get to six straight AFC championships or five straight Super Bowls. Um, yeah, I think so. Because it was, I, I don't think, I think it still would have fueled them because it was, they, cause I don't think that that year, let me just say this about 89 for the bills. That was the year the bills had a lot of talent, but they were very inconsistent. They kept losing to really bad teams and it, it is possible for them to beat Denver in the, in the championship game. Denver was 11 and five that year. It was a really bad year for the AFC. I remember that because D- Denver was not a good AFC team. It was just, you know, you always remember like the eighties and early nine, late eighties, early nineties, like the AFC was right. not very good. I agree. So, so with that being said, um, I think they definitely would have lost to San Fran in the Super Bowl that year. San Fran was awesome that year in, in 89. Like they, they were clicking with Montana rice. They were awesome. That's how they obliterated Denver. But, uh, I don't, I think if they make it to the title game, I, I, I think they're going to lose. They're going to lose to Denver. I'm pretty sure they're going to lose. And they would still be that hungry, but it would be crazy if they would have, they would have made it. Also, also, I don't know if you just alluded to my apologies because I'm, I'm reading Twitter while you're talking to me and people are yelling at, at Waro right now. So I don't want to spoil that. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to go back and see that. Uh, anyways. Um, so the, que- the question is, you may have said this, if they make it to the Super Bowl, does getting that experience in Super Bowl 24 help them in Super Bowl 25? Yes. Maybe they come in all cocky and confident in 24. They get their asses handed to them. And then in 25, they're like, okay, we're more business-like. We're more mature. Let's do this. So maybe that does happen. I don't know if you alluded to that earlier, but if you did, my apologies. But anyway, that, that could have happened. But I don't think they would have gotten past Denver. You know, I couldn't agree with you more, and I never thought of it that way. If they do get to the Super Bowl, even if they do get their asses handed to them by Frisco, they probably mm-hmm. come back hungrier next year, or not necessarily hungrier, because they, they were very hungry. They got to the Super Bowl more experienced, and I think maybe they don't take the Giants lightly, and they probably win that game going away. But anyway, moving on here, a couple of ladies we don't need to spend a lot of time with, and this is one of them. This is dedicated more towards older fans or basketball fans specifically. The Buffalo Braves leave Buffalo in 1978 to become the San Diego Clippers. Now, I'm not sure in 78, actually, Weren't you just being born around that time? No, I, I was not. I was not conceived yet. You are not you, conceived you old, yet. You, right, you well, old you've, bastard. You've, yeah, go ahead. Let me ask you this. If you were older, given your attitude now towards basketball at all, would you even care? Now, I was only seven years old, so I can't pretend like I was this big Buffalo Braves fan, but I do remember them. They were a pretty good team, too. It's not like this was a scrub team with no good players. They had stars. I remember Bob McAdoo and Adrian Dantley and Randy Smith. He had a Hall of Fame coach, Jack Ramsey. Made the playoffs three times in eight years, but they're out. Obviously, that for a lot of, again, people who were around at that time, that was a very traumatic point for Buffalo sports fans. Do you think it would have been for you had you been older? Yeah, it would have sucked. I would have been, I would have been upset. I don't, want, I don't want my sports teams to leave, but yeah, I, I like basketball more than I like the NHL. Oh, so. You're preaching to the choir. I get in trouble all the time on Twitter. I say it I all the time. I will I know, say yeah. it. I will die on that hill. I would rather have and again, unpopular opinion here. I would take the Buffalo Braves back tomorrow. I don't care if they're an expansion team that wins five games. If they go five and whatever it would be, five and what, 78, I still would take them over to Sabres tomorrow if I could. 
yeah, I would, I would as well. But yeah, I would have been, I would have been, it would have been, it would have sucked. But uh, you know, it's it, it, it must it would have been it must have been a really fun time, man. Like you had the Sabers, you had the Bills, and you had the Braves. Like the Sabers had Gilbert, the Bills had OJ, the Braves, you know, had McAdoo. Like you you have like a pretty good you know triplet of like all star athletes in that in their leagues at that point. Yeah, Ernie so. Di- Ernie Di too. He was a good player. I never never pronounced the guy's freaking name, but uh. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get murdered, by the way, for that uh, Braves over Sabres comment. But it is what it is. Actually, I got one more. I should have probably did this one first. So we're kind of going in a maze here. I want to circle back to the Bills one more. And then I got two pretty obvious Sabre ones. Um, with the Bills, Stevie Johnson dropping that pass against uh, Pittsburgh in overtime. And then afterwards, he blames God. Now, we'll talk about blaming God in a second. But do you remember that game? It was 2010 against the Steelers. The Bills were... I think the Bills, yeah, they were just two and eight coming into that game. So pretty, pretty big underdogs, even at home. To me, that game was just really symbolic of the entire drought as a whole. You know what I'm saying? I don't even know that I was mad. It was traumatic, but I don't know that I was mad because I'm like, this is what I expect from this football team. Do you remember what your mindset was at that moment? Yeah. <laughs> so where I was, I got to where I was at that point. It's kind of a, an interesting story. I was with my roommate at the time. And he was a huge Steelers fan. And we went to a bar to watch it. It was, it was just a regular bar, like not a bills bar or anything like that. And I was just expecting the bills to get clobbered. You just said it. they were two and eight. The Steelers were really good that year. They made it to the Super Bowl. That's when they lost to green Bay. Yeah. And I was just like, Hey, we're going to get crushed. And like, it's like, Whoa, they're, they're keeping this close. This is amazing. And we're in the booth and then overtime hits and then boom, they they do the play action they throw it down. You see Stevie and I'm getting up. Like, I'm like, I'm out of my booth. Cause we're in a sitting in a booth and I go, you know, I'm going, yeah. And then he catches it, drops it. And I remember I just jumped like way out of the booth. Like what the, what the F and I almost took out the waitress. Like, cause I just jumped out of the booth, like, like <laughs> pissed off. And I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I just remember we are so going to lose this game. And it was funny because that year, the bills were supposed to be bad. Like everyone knew going into that year, they were supposed to be bad. And it was all about like, Hey, do you want a worse draft pick or a better draft pick? Or do you want to get that momentum headed into the next season thing? It was a little bit, not as much as like the tank was with the Sabres, but that was kind of like the dilemma. And you probably in hindsight would have rather them lose a bunch of games to get a higher pick. than win, you know, win like four games and have like a heroic one to like, you know, the fifth, the fifth pick or whatever. But you were in that game in that moment, and I remember just like I wanted this victory. I did not care about draft position at that time because I was like, this is going to be great. They're going to beat the Steelers. I get to shove it in my roommate's smug face because he loved the Steelers, and Steelers fans are obnoxious. And, yeah, it was, it was, I was pissed off about that. And it's one of those, like, what-if moments because what if Stevie catches that? They win that game. They don't get the third pick in the draft, which is Darius. And they go down to maybe like the fifth, the fifth or sixth pick, maybe we'll just say. And maybe, and Darius would have been gone by then. Darius was definitely considered no yeah. ifs, ands, or buts. He was a top three player. Agreed. He was going either he was going either number two or number three. Like, there was no debate about it. And then and then who do they get? Like that that top seven, you know, draft is you got Patrick Peterson maybe there, you got JJ Watt maybe there, you got uh AJ Green maybe there, all guys that the Bills at that time, the Bills were not talented in 2010. That was a 
bones. That was a bad football team for the most part. Like four and twelve, they went in two thousand ten. Yeah, yeah, they were four and twelve. They were supposed to be bad that year because it was the first year of Chan and Knicks, and like they knew they were supposed to be bad. Like that's like the big like what if you catch that you don't get Darius who you know he gave you two really good years and then he got he got paid and it went downhill but like you then get these other guys maybe you maybe get AJ Green or you get JJ Watt or Patrick Peterson who those three guys have had a much better career than Darius has I agree with you and to reiterate kind of the way I felt at that time that was at the point where I was just like you throw your hands up and you're like well, if this team can find a way to lose, they're going to. And that kind of went that way all the way until Sean McDermott became coach. And I kind of feel like the culture's turned around. I don't really feel like that anymore. But that was kind of the height of how I felt about that team. Well, what way are we going to find a way to lose on this game? Real quick sidebar, too, for people out there listening who may not know this. And I'm sure Joe doesn't give a shit, but I'm going to say it anyway. This game indirectly actually led to the birth of Bill's Mafia as we know it today. Real quick here, Stevie Johnson drops that pass, they lose, he takes to Twitter that night, and he blames God. And because he did that, everyone started retweeting it. And back in, in those days, and I'm recounting the story of the way Del Reed once told me it. So back in those days when you would retweet something, like in today, if Joe tweets something and I retweet it, and a hundred other people retweet it, you're only going to see it in your timeline once. But back in that day, every time you would retweet something, it would show up in your timeline. So it, it would get retweeted several hundred times. And like Adam Schefter was really late to the party, didn't retweet out to the next day. It had already been, again, old news at that point. And Del, or Del Reed and a couple other people were kind of quipping back at Adam Schefter saying something and then he blocked him and he goes something about the mafia. That's what, how it went. Because Adam blocked him, he goes, we're the Bills mafia. Literally at that time, that's all that was, was a joke on Twitter course years later now it's no such thing as a bills fan anymore if you're a bills fan you're known as bills mafia but anyway it was because of that game and more specifically that drop by stevie johnson then his tweet about god that ultimately led to the birth of the term bills mafia so there you go story time with patrick moran on the talking buffalo podcast Does that impress you yeah it impresses me i mean the, the mafia came through it uh, in regards to that i remember that it's, it's been told a hundred times i know that, so well there's always somebody a, there's always someone a, who doesn't know it though Oh my God. Who would know that someone like getting out of a coma and just decided to listen to us. Yeah. Okay. Moving on. Dude. All right. We got a couple of saber ones here. And let me say this too, as I talk about these two, because they're all within pretty much the same year or so. I said a few minutes ago about, you know, the Braves being better than the Sabres and I would trade them. I still would even a decade ago, but a decade ago would be more because I'm a hoops junkie. I just love the NBA. So it was nothing against the Sabres. I was a big Sabres fan. I really liked them because they were fun to watch. They're just not fun to watch anymore. I would almost take a soccer team at this point over to Sabres just because I'm just done with this organization and the way it's run. But anyway, I don't want to get off track here. Going back, next one, Game 7, Eastern Conference Finals in 2006. Carolina defeats the Buffalo Sabres 4-2. to Now the Sabres led that game 2-1 to after two periods. And then Carolina scored three third-period goals. And what a lot of Sabres fans will remember about that time is they pretty much played that game with no defensemen. Jay McKee had a staff affection. He didn't play. Uh, Newman didn't play. He had a hip injury. Talenter didn't play. He had a broken arm. He was out that series. Dimitri Kalinin, he didn't play with an ankle injury. So that's four regular Sabres defensemen right there. Tim Connolly 
make fun of him all you want, but he was a really good player at one time. And this was that era. He didn't play that series because he got a concussion before that. So that's a lot of guys down, but still the Sabres led with 20 minutes to go to get to the Stanley Cup. Carolina scores three and the Sabres lose. That's traumatic. What are your thoughts? What do you remember? Do you know that the Sabres are replaying that game next week? What's up? The, the Sabres are actually going to replay that game next week on MSG. Yeah, I won't watch that game it. Seven. That's a whole, yeah, dude, I, I won't watch it. I haven't watched one game and I'm not going to, and it's nothing, I got nothing against anybody who does, but some cases to me, it's, it's heartbreaking. In other cases, I'm just going to be honest with you, bro. I don't like rewatching old games, man. It doesn't really do anything for me. Huh. Give me a game from 40 years ago. I'd rather watch a game from the seventies than watch a game from in the last five to 10, 15 years. I just think it's weird that they're, they're going to replay that game. Cause like that's such a heartbreaking game. Um, what's well, a heartbreaking so for, episode. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, I know really. Thanks for like cheering everyone up during a pandemic path. Like, thanks dude. Like just stab us more in the heart. Um, that game, you know what? I watched parts of it here. So weirdly enough, I was working at that time and I had just started a new job, a job that I ended up losing because my director at the time was a fucking prick. And I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you that story one day, maybe when I, when I go over my career in television production after I get, you know, blackballed maybe. <laughs> um, but anyway, I had to do some networking and go out for drinks with people. And the game was kind of on in the background at a bar. And this is New York city, mind you, which does not give a shit about hockey at all, especially if it's not including like New York teams, but even when it includes New York teams, they don't really care. And I just remember kind of like having it on in the background. And I, I, all I remember of that game is the Sabres were up two to one. They scored two late second period goals. And I remember, okay, great. They're going to, they're going to go in and they're just going to hold, I have to hold this game out. And they didn't. And they, they, and that's, that's kind of all I remember. Like the next period, the, the, the Canes scored, what was it? I think three goals. They, they scored yeah, an three. empty netter. Yeah, and then, like, I just kind of felt – I felt very sad about it, but I also was really optimistic because it kind of felt a little bit like – you know when, like, when the Bills – when the Bills missed the field goal against the Giants, you were obviously disappointed and sad, but then you felt, hey, we, we got something going. Like, ne- wait till next year. Like, we're going to come back. Right. We got the nucleus here. It's going to be fine. That's how I felt at that time with the Sabres. Like – man, this sucks, but guess what? Next year we're coming back. We got everyone back and we're going to do well. So it was kind of like bitter. It was, it was bittersweet. Like this sucks, but Hey, wait till next year. Cause that's when we're going to be really good. Cause now no one knew that the old five Oh six team was going to be any good until it got good. And then it was like, okay, wait till next year. Then we're going to, we're going to really take it. That's kind of how I felt at that moment when all that shit went down. I couldn't agree with you more. And I'll tell you what, there could be a day, maybe, with not much going on in sports over the summer, we could probably have an entire podcast episode just dedicated to the team that Darcy Regeer put together during that time. Now, we're talking to general manager, and we're not going to get deep into a discussion with him today, but this is a guy who was very embattled for many reasons. Some of them deserved, but we could not get rid of him fast enough. But now, years later, with the GMs that have come and gone, the coaches that have come and gone, I think there's a lot of people who would love to go back to those days where Darcy Regeer was the general manager of this hockey team because he put a really great team together that lasted for a bit too, which kind of brings me, I don't have anything further to add about that game seven loss to Carolina. It sucked. It was one of the worst games I can remember watching for the Sabres because I agree with you and I felt very optimistic. 
But that optimism didn't last all that long because the next season, the Sabres suffer the same fate. They make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. They lose. And then that offseason, July 1st, 2007, it's forever known in Buffalo sports circles as Black Sunday. The day, and this is the next topic here, losing Danny Breer and Chris Drury both on the same day. Breer goes and signs an $8 million, $52 million contract. I'm sorry, eight years, $52 million. He goes to Philly. Chris Jury goes to the Rangers, five years, $35.2 million. This was a horrible moment in Buffalo sports history. Yeah, to me, this is the worst moment in Sabres history. I agree. I think it's, I think it's worse than no goal. I think it's worse than the McKee game seven we just talked about. It's the worst moment for me. Because it just, it just basically was like, are you kidding me? You lose your two best freaking players in free agency because, you know, your owner's kind of a cheapskate and doesn't realize that prices are going up. And then they, they tried to kind of slander both Briere and Drury when they left. And the the franchise really hasn't been the same since. Like, no, it, just, it, no, it hasn't. No. Oh my god, it hasn't. It hasn't. And then like. You just wonder, like, what if, what if they had been active to resign them? And it just, it just killed everything. Like it, it, that's why I don't. When I, when I think back, like right now, like the Sabers, MSG, they're putting out all these, oh five, oh six, oh seven classics. And I have, I don't want. I mean, I'm not going to be able to watch them because I'm in New York, obviously, and you have to watch them in Buffalo. But like, I would not want to watch it because it just, it's like watching, it's like watching, I don't know, like Game of Thrones, and you're watching Ned Stark, and you're like. Man, Ned Stark's a great character, but you know Ned Stark's going to die at the end. And that's what happens here. Like, it's great to see Drury and Briere, but I know at the end, he's, they're going to die. They're going to be gone. Like, it's going to end just totally abruptly by stupidity. And it's just, it, it, just, it, it, it triggered a lot of different emotions for me. I, it totally made me not like Tom Galasano and Larry Quinn for the, rest of the, for the rest of eternity. And up until that point, they were like gods in that town. Like, would you feel, would you feel like it would be like Ralph Wilson, let's say after the bills, second super bowl loss, oh, yeah. if, if he like, got rid of Bruce Smith and Thurman Thomas and in, in the course. same off season. Cause that's how yes. it felt. That's exactly what it was. You know, that's why I can watch retro bills games from like the super bowl era. And I'm like, Oh yeah, you know, it ended badly, you know, at the end, but like, it ended badly because of them. Like they just, they just didn't, they just didn't play well in those Super Bowls. Where in this case, it ended badly because of stupidity and cheapness. You know what I mean? Like so, it was a dark day. I remember though, like that whole lead up that season, like reading articles in the Buffalo News and like people. It just felt like, are they really going to let these guys go? Because like, that was like the whole thing. Aside from the, the the Sabers being great that year, they won the President's Trophy. The other subplot was. What's going to happen with Briere and Drury? Are they going to keep both? Do they keep one? And you never, you kind of, as the season progressed, you were like, why isn't anything being done? Why isn't there an extension? Why isn't any of this happening right now? They need to be doing this. And then I always remember that my, a guy that I worked with, his wife was very tight with Chris Drury's wife. And he had told me like in January of that year, that dude, just so you know, the Drury's are coming to the Rangers. Like they want to come and move back to New York city. And I remember him telling me that in like January of 07. So I knew six months in advance, you know, you, you know, everyone has that story of, Oh, I heard that this is going to happen from like the bartender. Like this was legit. And he's like, yeah, dude, they're coming back to, they're going to the Rangers. Like they want to come back to the tri-state area. 
So I always knew that was happening a little bit like, Oh shit, this is going to happen. And that's what ended up happening. But yeah, it, it sucked. It was, it just, it just was completely heartbreaking. And I remember it just happening really quick. I was at work again, all these stories. I was at work for all these traumatic 2000 stories, I guess, but I'm at work and I just remember refreshing the computer and I was like refreshing like ESPN and boom. Okay. Drury goes to the Rangers and then boom, Briere goes to the flyers. It happened like within like five minutes. It felt like, and I was like, Holy shit. Like, they had an opportunity horrible. to keep both of them and they blew it. They gave Briere just, in fact, they went to arbitration a year before and he only got a one-year uh, deal for $5 million. Breer would say later on in interviews that the Sabres waited until the last minute to even try and re-sign him the long term. And in the case of Drury, it's been reported, I remember the Buffalo News had a report, that at one time he did verbally agree to an extension, but the Sabres never actually sent the paperwork to his agent to sign. He got very annoyed and frustrated over that and at that point made a decision that he was definitely going to leave the Sabres. And of course, Ultimately went to the Rangers. Yeah, man, I agree. And you would look at that team, 113 points, President's Trophy. And they had young players like Vanek and Hammondville, who was young at the time, and Max Afinaginoff. That was a loaded roster that seemed like it was built to have a championship quality contender for many years to come. And that obviously, right away, that, that day or symbolized a, a very rapid downfall for this organization, frankly, one that they've never recovered from. Yeah, it was, it was pretty bad, man. <laughs> well, one more here in terms of Buffalo. I don't really have any comment. I doubt you do too, but it's worth mentioning at least because I know there's a lot of UB fans out there. But just a couple years ago, 2018, UB blew a 19-point lead in the fourth quarter of the MAC championship game, and they lost to Northern Illinois. I, I mean, it sucked. What was you going to say? I, I really, I didn't watch the game. It wasn't a big... I'm a big, I'm a UB fan, but I'd be lying if I said I sat there and watched the game. I do remember him blowing the lead, and that sucked, but it's not really, I don't think you really have anything to add to that either. No, I'm not a UB guy, sucks, sorry. Though. Yeah, it sucks. Don't care. Anyway, don't I, care. Got, I got one or two that are not Buffalo things that I wanted to throw out there in terms of traumatic moments that I can remember. Then I'll ask you for the same if you got a couple. Again, I have two, and neither of these are Buffalo sports related, by the way. Number one was the Yankees and... 2001 losing the world series they were up two to one in the ninth inning they have the best relief pitcher in the history of the game mariano rivera on the mound in arizona up two to one and they blew it luis gonzalez that blue single uh so yeah you know one of the worst moments of my life sports life anyway i was big i've always been a big yankees fan that was a game should have won that world series that was the year of course of 9-11 and uh mariano rivera of all people blew it so that's one and then the other one, this is actually a wrestling one, going back to when I was a little kid. Now, when I was a real young kid, wrestling was religion to me. And you talked about crying when you were young, and I was sort of making fun of you. But I'm kind of, this is triggering a memory to me here. Bob Becklin was WWF at that time. He was champion for four years. I love Bob Becklin. And I was only, I think, 11, 10 or 11 years old. And he lost to the Iron Cheek, the most evil wrestler in the world at that time, especially when you're a young kid like me, who's so impressionable with the characters, the guy from Iran, big bad guy. Anyway, Bob back after four years, lost to the Iron Sheik. And uh, I cried. I remember crying too. I was 10 or 11 years old. <laughs> I remember crying when he lost uh, the Iron Sheik. Of, co of course, he lost about a month later and Hulk Hulkamania was born. But anyway, at that time, that was, uh, that was a very tragic sports moment in my life. So what about you? You got a couple left? 
Yeah, I don't have a wrestling one, unfortunately, for you, because I'm not an idiot like you who would cry during wrestling. Come on, dude. <laughs> uh, You're going to cry in wrestling? I've been watching wrestling since eight. I was freaking 10 or 11 years cry. old. Cry? And Bob Backlund? Like, I can understand like if you cried because Hulk Hogan lost to the Warrior if you were like a kid, but Bob Backlund. Like, <laughs> I loved Bob Backlund, man. Oh, my gosh. Anyways, yes, I have a few, but they're all Buffalo-centric, so, you know, too bad. This is what I think you left off. Sabres versus Penguins, 2001 playoffs. Do you not remember that series, Pat? Not really. Not off the top of my head. Oh, anyway. my God. Okay, game, game six and game seven were brutal. Like, the Sabres that year were really good. They were like the uh, – they – they beat the Flyers in the first round. They beat them eight. What was it like in the final game, like game six, they beat them eight to nothing. It was a team that was much, much better than the, the, the Stanley cup team. Cause Hashik was still there. They had, they had Doug Gilmore. They had Grattan. They had Steve Hines, Donald, that they were loaded. And then they, they played the freaking penguins and game six, the penguins had Yager. They had Lemieux. Lemieux had just come back for like, cause you know, he had cancer or whatever he had. I forgot, but they came back. They they went to game six. The Sabres are up by one goal with like a minute left. And they, they've been the pens pulled their goalie. And all I remember like watching this was like the puck went into the air and it was in the air forever. And at and there's Hashik, Lemieux and Rhett Warner right around, right around the crease. And the puck goes right right in front of right in front of Rhett Warner, who does not see it. So he's sitting there like shielding Hashik. He doesn't see the puck. Lemieux gets it. Bangs it right in with like less than a minute left, and the Penguins won in overtime. Then the game seven in Buffalo, the Sabers are up by a goal in the, in the third period. The, the Penguins tie it up, and then in overtime, Darius Kasparaitis, who is not an offensive skilled defenseman at all, he hits a he blasts a freaking slap shot past Hashik that Hashik should have had. Penguins go on to the Eastern Conference Finals. That whole thing that kind of ended in a way like the Regis slash Sabers era of when they were good from, like, 96 to 2001 because Hashik gets traded. It was a shitty trade. He, gets, he goes to Detroit for Sava Kozlov. And then a year later, the Regases declare bankruptcy and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But that Sabres team, that was a hell of a Sabres team that I do believe if they beat the Penguins, they beat the Devils the next round, and they go to the Stanley Cup Finals against Dallas in a, a, a rematch from two years earlier. But that was a really good Sabres team, and... I'm surprised you don't remember that, but that was heartbreaking. They should have won, and that I could still see Rhett Warner just sitting there like, where's the puck? And then Lemieux just sees it and bangs it in. That sucked. You talked about Bill's Monday Night Football games, Pat. I know where you're going with this one, and it's not that I don't Calvin agree with game. you. I, I know. I, I know. I, he could have been on the list, but to me, it was kind of like the same thing as Stevie Johnson. I felt like that team sucked, period. Go ahead, explain. No, I agree with you. This one deserves to be on the I, list. You, do you think this is worse? That you don't think you think the Dallas one is worse than this one? Um, yes, because the dude turned the ball over six fucking times, including two pick sixes. <laughs> so yes, I do. That's it. Yeah, you know this one. I oh man, this one I think sticks with me because again, it's the same dilemma going into the game where no one was talking about the Bills. It was Tom Brady coming back from being hurt. He had Moss. He had Welker. And no one gave the Bills a chance to win this game. And they played really well the first three and a half quarters. I remember they're up, they're up by 11 with like five and a half minutes left. And I remember I'm at a, I'm at a bar watching it with my friend who's from Buffalo who lived in New York and this obnoxious Patriots fan who I, I couldn't stand her. Like she had a Boston accent. She talked shit all the time about the Bills. Like, oh, you know, we're, we won three Super Bowls. What have you guys won? Like just obnoxious. And I remember – 
Like I'm totally not talking junk while they're up by 11, but I know in the back of my head, I'm like, they're going to win this game. And I'm going to turn to her and go like, F you, we won. And like, just totally be a dick. And then like the last five minutes of the game was horrific. The, the bills like completely collapsed. The Patriots go down the field. They score a touchdown, like in two minutes, McKelvin then freaking fumbles the football and then they score again. And it was, it was a horrible game like that. I remember. And, and your boy, I always remember too, like your boy, Dante Whitner, he was crying after the game in the locker room. I remember, cause I remember seeing the video clip where tears were coming down his eyes yeah. and that was a horrible game. And that season sucked too. But that, I remember that, oh, that was, that was terrible. Like those, they were, that was like the worst bills Patriots game during the Tom Brady years. I can remember. I agree one- with you. The only reason why I don't consider it so quote unquote traumatic is because, again, just like with the Stevie Johnson game, which I think was the next year. McKelvin, I believe, was 2009. But so it, but and Johnson was... I just... I felt like at that point, I was so used to this team losing that I almost expected McKelvin to fumble. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not... I don't know. It's a really I tricky line between traumatic think, and expecting the worst. I think that, that game and the, and the Dallas game are the same because both those teams suck that year. They both... I think the... 09 team finished six and ten, and the 07 team with the I guess Dallas they were they were they were seven and nine, so they only were off by one game. I don't know. I think I think they're interchangeable those two games. And then right, the other game, enough. yeah. And here's a couple of more games. I'll, I'll try to make it quick, dude. How do you not include the Bills Texans game from this past year? Because I'm not ready to talk about it yet. What do you mean you're not ready? It's Are you too just, fresh. You're, you're just saying that because you because we're we're going I wrong. Did, That's why. I did, no, it's not. It was not on the list to begin with. It's too fresh. The wound uh, is too come, fresh, come man. I'm not ready. That's a I'm not ready to game. peel that bandaid you're off. Up six, yet. You're up sixteen nothing. You the blow third. it, oh. and then you have those so two like horrible plays in overtime where like Deshaun Watson. I always say that Deshaun Watson, like him, like what was it? Like I think Milano and someone else had him for a second. He looted it. It was yeah, Sarah Neal. Yeah, that was basically the Mark Ingram Super Bowl 25 play of like bedazzling out of a freaking. Let me give you a hot take. Let me cut you off. Let me give you a hot take about that game. You just mentioned that play. People will talk about Duke Williams dropping a touchdown late in the second quarter. That's true. Let me tell you why they lost that game. They lost that game because of a missed block. And years from now, we're going to talk about it too. They lost that game because on that rollout by Josh Allen to the right side, that designed rollout. Dawson Knox misses block. If he blocks mm-hmm. that dude, Josh Allen could have crawled untouched to within safe field goal range. And the Bills probably, not probably, unless he misses the kick, the Bills win that game in a field goal and that shit doesn't happen. That happens afterwards. But anyway, to answer your question, it's just too fresh, man. It's It still hurts me too much to talk about. Okay, well, whatever. I got more games. Because you see, Pat, you should have went through me first to do this research, goddammit. Uh, <laughs> Bill's Dolphins playoff game from 98. Come on. You have to remember 24, 17. You're going in for the tying touchdown to send the game into overtime. It's Flutie. People always give the 99 team like a lot of props. Like, Oh man, that's the team that got away. Like they should have, they should have went to the super. I, I see rumblings had something about that the other day and 98 people forget because 98, that offense was really good. That was when Flutie was, was just hitting on all cylinders. Right. The defense yeah. was middle of the pack. Eric Moles and be- Paris Price Eric- were both great. Well, no, Paris, yeah, Paris Price was there. You're right. He was. Oh, no, he wasn't there in 80, in 98 yet. He oh, was yeah. there in 99. Yeah, you're right. My bad. It was, it was, it was Andre Reed and Moles were still there. But yeah. like Moles, that was Moles coming out party, though. That was when he had like, he had like 1,400 yards and like 60 catches because all of his catches were bombs. And that team, 
they they're freaking they're, they get down to the, the Dolphins three yard line with like 19 seconds left and Trace Armstrong sacks Flutie he fumbles the football Dolphins recover that was the game where there was all these weird pl- penalties like Andre Reid got thrown out of the game because he got up and like bumped into an official and the official said he tried to push him there was like another like weird fumble that like Reid's elbow was down. And that they said, like, oh, it's a fumble, even though his elbow was down. The re- instant replay of the challenge system, if you remember, was not in play in 98. And, you know, that was a that was like that was like a, a, a team that I thought was was better offensively. that could have made it farther. And Miami was not good in that game. Like the Bills lost. They had like five or six turnovers. And you know what? This just popped in my head for traumatic. The give it to me game. Give it to me game. What do you mean? The give it to me game, dude. Patriots Bills '98, freaking the, the the replay game where Sean Jefferson like catches a, a ball like like down the field and he's totally out of bounds and the officials like oh say oh, oh he's in bounds and then Andre Reed's like dude he's out of bounds and the referees are like oh just give it to him. Remember that game? Yeah. And then and the and the hell Mary that they called pass interference on like that that you know on Henry Jones like you never see pass interference ever on a hell Mary. And like yeah. that was a, that was a horrible game, and I remember like Ralph Wilson was pissed off. Everyone was pissed off after the game. Like the the officiating sucked. And if the Bills had won that game, they would have had home field in the wild card game against Miami, and they definitely would have won that game. That that give it to me game sucked. That was a big You're right. dramatic moment. I would put that. You know what? I would put that against away from the, the Monday Night Football game. And those ones, screw that. That game goes there because that that's when the team was good and they got. They got completely fucked in that, in that game. So that Miami game—that's the game that Eric Moles had like 240 yeah. yards receiving or some crazy shit like that. Yeah, they 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 had like over like 400 yards in total offense, and Miami was not very good in that game. But the Bills had like five turnovers, and it was a sloppy game. But the Bills totally outplayed them, and then they lost. And Miami ended up going to Denver the next week, and Denver like obliterated them. That was when Denver won the Super Bowl back to back. When, you know, an Elway retired. Yeah. So that one, and I'm almost done. I'll make it quick. <laughs> no, you Bills won't. Jet, I will. Bills Jets 2002 opener, the Chad Morton game. That game sucked. You remember that game? Vaguely. I probably remember it more after you describe it. Oh, my God. So it was the first Bills game I ever watched after I moved to New York City. Okay. So I had moved into New York City July of 02. No, no, June of 02. This was in September of 02. It was on TV because they were playing the Jets. It was Bledsoe's first game, and, like, the Bills, like, really dominated them, but the Jets had two special teams touchdowns by Chad freaking Morton, and then the game went to overtime after, oh, yeah. like, Bledsoe, after Bledsoe, like, guided them down the field, and they scored with, like, 10 seconds left on a Molds, like, 25-yard, like, touchdown. It was, like, a great executed play. Like, he, I remember he hit Molds, like, in the seam in the end zone in, in front of, like, three defenders, and they go to overtime, kick off Chad Morton, boom, busted for the game winner, and that was just like a heartbreaking, like what the fuck kind of game. And if the Bills win that game, and they should have won that game, just the special teams were terrible. I, they go nine and seven, and I'm pretty sure they win the division that year because they were only one game out of first place when the Jets ended up winning the division that year. And it was Bledsoe's first game. That game really sucked. That game I remember, you know, really. And then and then this one. How do you not have this on your list? I'm sorry, Pat. I'm just burying you here. Steelers Bills finale of 04. You know why? I actually, the one you just said about the Jets, I'm going to be honest with you, that's a good one. I forgot about that one until you just said it. I didn't forget about the Steelers. Here's why it wasn't traumatic until an hour after the game. You did not know 
that the Bills, the Bills still needed like five things to happen to make the playoffs that year, even if they won that game by 30 points. They did not take the field that day saying, if we win this game, we're in the playoffs, and then they lose a bunch of backups. They knew they needed to win, but they did not know that they were but making you, the playoffs. That's a stupid excuse. No, it's why not. Is the Monday, why is the Monday night football when there's they're two and five on there? Or because the because they had that game won. It was a, a traumatic moment. They had that they, game won. They played the backups. They this is the to me the most droughtiest drought game of those eighteen years. <laughs> now that I, I don't disagree you with lose that against the backups. And I agree with game. you there, but it wasn't it traumatic. Was a, they didn't know they were going to make the playoffs, bro. They didn't know oh, until afterwards. But well, they still knew that they had to win to get a chance to make the playoffs. Eh. And they were and the and the Jets were playing the Rams. The Rams were really good that year, and I it wasn't like a it wasn't like the Baltimore. Like Bengals game, like when they made it in two years ago, where it's like, okay, yeah, you know, what's the chance of it's happening? Are slim to none. The, the 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 Jets were playing the Rams, who were twelve and four. Like the Rams were really good that year, so that needed to be on that list. That was that was well, a terrible. That game. was that was not a um that wasn't a traumatic moment. That was a annoying three hours of your life having to watch them lose the backups. But there was no moment in that game. There's no. That was a moment. There was, was like a, it was the Willie Blitz, Parker moment. Really, pa- Willie Parker whooping their ass moment is what it was. And James Harrison killing Bledsoe and returning a touchdown. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that. That was like, and that was Bledsoe. That that set up a bunch of things because Bledsoe got cut. If they make the playoffs that year, does Donahoe get fired the next year when they're six and ten, or does Bledsoe even get cut if they make the playoffs and they just go, hey, we're just going to bring it back again and, and see what happens. Like, there's a lot of what ifs in that. Like, if like yeah. if the Bills beat the Cowboys. Big freaking deal. They're going to freaking, they're going to still finish like what? They're going to finish eight and eight that season. They win this game. They go to the playoffs. I forgot who they play. I think they played the Colts maybe in in Indy for that game. Maybe I don't remember off the top of my head, but you know, they, you're going to cut your starting quarterback after you go 10 and six and you, and you make the playoffs. Like it's, it's a little bit different there. Like if, if things trickle that way in terms of that. And finally, finally, I went to this game. It was Jim Kelly's last game as a Bill. The Bills Jags 1996 playoffs. Yeah. They lost 30 to 27. This was like a shocking. This was like the biggest upset when the Bills were like in like where the where the stakes were very high. Like you know what I mean? Like we talked about how the Giants were like, man, that was an upset. Like we thought they were going to beat them, but the Giants were like 13 to 3. The Jags were a second year expansion team who like barely got in the playoffs. And I'm I'm still thinking like the '96 Bills, like oh this is the, this is these are still the Super Bowl Bills, like they got Kelly, Thurman, Ken Hall, all those guys, and they got up to like a 14 nothing lead, and then like the Jags scored a bunch of points, and it was back and forth, and I just remember like the the, the second to last drive, you know Kelly's running and he gets sandwiched and he fumbles the football, gets knocked out of the game. He actually didn't fumble it; it was a bad call. His knee was down. Then Jacksonville gets, and I think they get the game the. They either hold the the clock down, you know, they run the ball a bunch of times, and then the, the Bills get the ball back with like seconds left, and Todd Collins is in, and then you know he does shitty. Collins was horrible, but you know they lose that game. It's heartbreaking because to me that game like ended the era of like it ended Jim Kelly's that, career literally. Yeah, ended Jim Kelly's career, and that to me you could go over like the Super Bowl Bills like history, like when did you feel it was over, and like some people can say like you know. The, the fourth Super Bowl, you know, Dallas and Bills. You could say the Music City Miracle. This, to me, was when it, like, really ended. Because you were like, oh, God. Like, Jim Kelly's gone. Like, he's he, he retired. And that was it. Yeah. So, this, to me, was And I was at that game. I was, like, 
what was I like 16 at the time? I went my dad and my sister and that was it. And that to me, that was a, a, that was a tough heartbreaking loss. And I just remember after the game, you know, it's so weird. Like we, we kind of look back and like about those nineties bills, like in this kind of like, you know, very like poetic, Oh, we love them. I just remember after that game, people were pissed like on the radio, like media were like, they got, they, they got to blow this team up. Like that's what the narrative was. Like they have, they're done. Like you got to blow them up and, that's kind of what happened. Kelly retired, Ken Hall retired, and and then the next year they had Van Pelt and Todd Collins, and that was like a horrible 90-17. Yeah, that's a so, good yeah. one. And I would say off the field maybe a traumatic moment for me was actually the Jim Kelly retirement itself. That was a, a pretty traumatic Buffalo sports moment for me anyway. But, yeah, those are some good ones. I'll give you that. I don't agree with the Pittsburgh one. I agree with the rest of them. But Oh, my God. Whatever. Those two, it's, just, have... it's just my no, opinion. No, 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 no. That's a stupid opinion. Stupid well, opinion. My opinion Everyone sucks. Everyone would it's... laugh at you right now if you said that. And if you went on, t- on Twitter and said, by the way, I think that that Bills-Steelers game of the finale in 04, that meant nothing to me. Uh, it wasn't traumatic. It was annoying. To me, it there's was a traumatic. Difference. It was always not. talk about that traumatic game, is, dude. Traumatic is a moment. It's losing because of a play or, in, or a series of things that happened. They lost the fucking backups. That's not traumatic. That's, that's, that's traumatic just annoying. In itself. Nah. That's tra- they lost to the backups. I don't bro. agree with you. I think that, that they I, lost to the backups. I think that take sucked. But, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to let <laughs> you redeem you. yourself. Awesome. I'm going to let you redeem yourself. We do this once in a while when I have you on. Haven't done it in a while, but we're going to do it today. The running with Joe, it finishes, literally finishes with the finisher. This is where you have your last take about whatever you want, and that's how we'll wrap up the segment. They know what the finisher is. Come on, they only come to listen to me. They know the finisher. Anyway, yeah, here we go. Look, I'm sick and tired of the Pagulas and people, like, sticking up for the Pagulas because they've they furloughed a bunch of people and they're not paying their stadium employees. I'm just over this shit, and I get it. I get the reasons of, like, oh, hey, all these other corporations are doing it. And my my logic to that is, like, look, like your mom used to say, if your friend jumps off a bridge, are you going to do that? No. Just because all these corporations are doing that doesn't mean that the Pagula should do, should have to do that. And my whole thing is this. The Pagula's one Buffalo to me is completely like just fake and phony. Because if you are this like, you come out and every day, every week you have like this, oh, we're one Buffalo, we're family, we love everyone. You know, these are trying times. Like help your employees out, okay? You have resources. You're filthy rich. I know it's it's. It's you, you think maybe people hear this and they think like I'm look, they're looking for handouts. So who the hell knows? Like, but the point is don't come out and tell me as an organization that you care about us and you care about fans and your employees. And you obviously are showing that you don't, that you only care about money or the bot and the bottom line. This looks really bad for them. And I'm sorry. Like I would expect more leadership from them. You know, they are leaders in that community, whether you like them or you don't. They own two sports teams. They own a bunch of properties. And we have invested our lives into their properties, into their teams. And without us, who the hell would the Pagulas be? There would be a bunch of rich freaking people living in Florida, and no one would care about them. And right now, they're showing people that they don't care about them all that much. And you could sit there and go, well, they're, they're donating this to, like, the coronavirus fund or whatever. And, again... That's like a tax write-off, and I, I, that's a lot of that's a little bit of the motivation that a lot of people do have with with donating. But for what they're doing to their employees and what they've done for the last couple of years in general, like it's just it's just kind of appalling to me. And you know, your whole reason for existence, 
was to win the Stanley Cup. But honestly, it should be your existence should be about helping those who are in existence because without us, you wouldn't be in existence. All right, folks, that is going to do it for this episode. Very gloomy episode, man. I don't know if I can handle any more for today. Anyway, big thank you again. Two times in one week, my buddy Joe from New York City. Follow him on Twitter at Buffalo Wins. Always a good conversation with him. Coming up next week, Tuesday show, I have Joe Marino from the Draft Network. Going to do my one and literally only mock draft in advance of the NFL draft starting on next Thursday. And then on Friday's show, I'm going to have Greg Thompson from Cover One. We'll go over night one of the draft and we'll forecast what the Bills might be doing starting in round two. That's, of course, assuming they didn't make any picks in round one, which are not scheduled for right now. But anyway, I'll have Greg on Friday's show. Guys, if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do that right now. Rate and review all that fun stuff. I say it every single time because it's true. It really helps me continue to grow this podcast tremendously. So please do that. Also, go check out Talking Buffalo Podcast on YouTube. That is completely separate from this podcast. It's its own channel. I have some highlight clips from current and past episodes up there, but I also am going to start pounding out some really good original audio content. You'll only find it on that YouTube channel. Not going to hear it anywhere else, including this podcast. So again, Talking Buffalo Podcast on YouTube. I can't remember if I just said Moranalytics Podcast. But anyway, it's Talking Buffalo Podcast, not Moranalytics Podcast. And then last but not least, of course, follow me on Twitter, at Tweets. I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates, promos, upcoming guests. Just banner with uh, sports fans. It's a lot of fun there, at Tweets. Thank you so much for listening. I don't know any other way to end each episode other than saying that. Thank you very much. I really do appreciate it. I know how many podcasts are out there, how many are competing for your ears and your time. So if you're listening to this one, it truly, man, it really does. It means a lot to me. Very humble for that. So thank you very much. Have a good weekend. Continue to stay safe. Do what you got to do. Hopefully we'll get back to a little bit of normalcy sooner than later, but do your part. Stay safe. Thank you very much. New episode coming up on Tuesday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.